one of Paul's converts in Ephesus um, returned home and started the church in, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Colossae or Colossae, uh, depending on how, what source, but we'll just say Colossae, which was the book of Colossians was written to that church, a convert of Paul's from Ephesus. And when false doctrine started to threaten his young church, he traveled to Rome where Paul was in prison to speak with him. And this is what resulted in Paul writing a letter to the church in Colossae, which is the book of Colossians. And so the heresy that threatened the Colossian church was a quote-unquote blended message. Part Christianity, part Jewish legalism, part Eastern philosophy, and part Gnosticism. They created their own brand of spirituality. And that's still in operation today, right? (laughs) Even I'm guilty of that sometimes. I want Jesus to fit my paradigm. I want Him to do what I think He should do and and respond to me however I think He should and so on and so forth. Uh, But it behooves us to just say, Lord, who are you? And who am I supposed to be? I need to conform to your image. You don't need to conform to my image. And so uh, false teachers, especially ones who claim to be Christian, do not deny the importance of Jesus Christ. They don't say that Jesus is not important, but they do, in a sense, dethrone him. They give him prominence, but they don't give him preeminence. And there's a difference. Making Jesus prominent means that he is someone they acknowledge as very important and uh, beyond the norm. He's projected beyond the surface or a line is the definition of prominent. He's outside of what's normal, but he's not preeminent, which means he is first in rank. Jesus isn't superior to all things in many people's theology. But Paul uh, seeks to deny this by listing several times using the word all. In Colossians 2.3 is one of the first times we see it. So I just want to give us a little foundation tonight to understand the reason why Paul is so adamant in the book of Colossians about Jesus being everything is because he's responding to people who are relegating Jesus to part of Christianity. Instead of all of Christianity. They're wanting to make him part of their lives. But not the number one thing in their lives. There's a saying that says. If Jesus is not Lord of all. He is not Lord at all. He has to be number one. So Colossians 2.3. Speaking of Jesus says. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we want wisdom and knowledge, it's found in Jesus. All of it is found in Him. All that is should be coveted and should be valuable to us. Colossians 2, 9-10 through is two of my favorite scriptures in the entire Word of God. Colossians 2, 9-10 through For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Again, we understand... The fullness of God was inside the body 
of Christ. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So if you're complete in Jesus Christ, that means you don't need anything else, right? We are complete in Him because He is all that God is. In Colossians 1, 16 through 19, we're going to see the word all several times in this passage. Colossians 1, 16 through 19 says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist, or all things are held together. If you're falling apart, you need Jesus. Because He puts things together and holds them together. And He is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should dwell, should all fullness dwell. It pleased him, pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So again, just something to say quickly on a sidebar is many times in Scripture, there's the two natures of Jesus Christ, the man, Christ Jesus, and the God that was inside the man, right? So that can help us understand when we're reading Scripture sometimes why it seems like it's referring to Jesus in an inferior way. It's talking about His flesh. The part of Him that was a man. Because inside the deity that was of Jesus Christ is over all things and is subject to nothing. When Jesus said, I'm subject to the Father, he was speaking how his flesh was subject to the Spirit inside of him. Because here it says, plainly, speaking of Jesus, he created all things. He created all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, principalities and powers. So if Jesus was a separate God or part of God, that means he created the other parts of God. Okay, so just one thing to think about. This passage is very strong in supporting that that Jesus Christ was the fullness of God and there's not multiple parts of God. Because it was all in Christ. Every bit of God was in Christ. Colossians 3.17 Colossians 3.17, one more all scripture. And the, just as you're turning there, there was one time where some people were, uh, I was just discussing scripture with them, they're of another faith, and they believe that Jesus was a created being, uh, even the spirit of Jesus was created sometime later by the, the what they would think of as the Father, Jehovah, and uh, we just read those scriptures and they had nothing to say. Because it says he created all things in heaven or in earth. And I said, so that means if he was separate from Jehovah, he would have created Jehovah. They said, no, it doesn't say that. Well, it says all things, right? 
all things, heaven and earth. So if you ever get in a discussion with someone who, um, again, I'm not uh, saying it to minimize these people, but Jehovah Witnesses believe Jesus was created by the Father, not just the flesh, but the Spirit. It doesn't hold water with these scriptures here. Um, so just something to think about if you ever get in discussion with, with someone about that. Colossians 3.17, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's, it's all in Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus. All of it. So when you say Jesus, you're addressing all that God is. That's why we put so much emphasis on the name of Jesus. Not because we came up with that idea, but because Scripture says we should. And it's nice that we don't have to have... Um, we could go through an extensive study, but uh, not for tonight, but... When you say Jesus, you're saying all the names of God. And uh, Jesus means Jehovah, Savior. Jehovah has become salvation, depending on the source you consult. But basically it means Jehovah became salvation. So when you say Jesus, you're mentioning the God of the Old Testament, Jehovah. It's in His name. So... The point is, everything is in Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. He is above all. And when we, we're, we're speaking of Jesus Christ, we're speaking of the God of the universe, the God of all time, coming in the form of a man, saving our sins. And in heaven there is one who sits on that throne, and that's the man that was Christ Jesus as the image of the invisible God, because no man has seen God at any time, right? So we don't have to address multiple gods. We don't have to worry about putting them, them, you know, praying to all of them equally. We just pray to Jesus and we're, we are addressing the one true living God. And he is the one who we should put first above all things. Because he is above all things. And so by acknowledging that, we're not changing anything. He's first no matter what. But when we allow Him to be Lord of our lives, it saves us. It changes us. It doesn't change His status. It changes our status with Him and our status for eternity. So putting the Lord first is to our own benefit. It starts to put our life in order. It starts to, again, by Him we consist. So when our life's falling apart... It's because he's not first. We, if we make him first again, by his mercy and grace, he begins to put everything back together again. Right? That's the beauty of it. We just have to put him first. And that's what it truly means to be a Christian. And you guys all know these things. I'm, I hope it doesn't seem like I'm telling you something and insulting your intelligence. But you know these things, right? But it's good to be reminded of them. And to just boil it down, this is what truly being a Christian is, is putting Christ first. They were called Christians because they followed Christ. It wasn't a name they came up with, it was what others called them. Because they were following Christ, they were imitating Christ, and it was as if Christ had just multiplied Himself after He rose from the dead, 
Instead of them having to kill one, now they had to kill a whole bunch of people that are going around imitating Christ, doing His works, acting like Him, behaving like Him, ministering to people like Him. And so that's what it means to be a Christian is to put Him first. So when we come to a new year, a lot of times we think about the way things should be in our lives and try to correct things that are not quite right. So the first thing we have to do is calibrate our lives to have Him first and to become His disciples. And so uh, there's many different things obviously we could look at, but tonight I wanted to look at something that we actually did as a series, I think it was last year or the year before sometime, uh, called Every Day. And so there's an acronym and a slide, I believe there, Brother Ryan, that's for every. There's every day. These are things to be a disciple that we should try to make a priority in our lives every day. So the first uh, one is enlist. Enlist in ministry. Every day we should look for opportunities to minister to others. Because somehow ministry has been relegated to uh, people in church that are quote-unquote ministers. But every believer should be a minister. And, and that's, uh, again, it might come across as challenging, but to me there's no greater joy than ministering to others. When we fulfill the purpose of God to minister to other people, it brings joy to our lives. And ministry isn't always a, a program or an intentional uh, thing. It's just trying to show God's love everywhere we go. Opening doors for people, being kind, being compassionate, being loving. Just treating people with respect. And if, if the opportunity arises, talk to them about the Lord. But just ministering to people. And again, we talked about growing in the Lord, and, and that's our ministries are all in the process of growth, all of us. I and myself definitely need to grow every day and every year as a pastor. There's so much that I need to learn, and there's so many things I need to do better. And it's the same for all of us. We, we may not feel like our ministry is that big or that important or whatever, but the fact is it's supposed to be growing. It's supposed to be growing. And that's, that's the beauty of it. We can, we can find what God wants us to do and we can get better at it as He helps us. So ministry should be a top priority in our life. Every day. Looking for an opportunity to minister. Praying and asking God, God, what do you want me to do for you today? What do you want me to do in your kingdom? So there's, there might be an official ministry you have at the church that you give yourself to. That's also important. But also just every day. And for some of us it's ministering to our spouse. It's ministering to our children. Those are the first priority in our lives. It starts with our family. So if we are married to someone. They are secondary. Or excuse me. They are primary. And our, our church ministry is secondary. I'm a pastor second. I'm a husband and a father before I'm a pastor. And so sometimes people think, well, I don't have a, a big, well-known ministry. 
and they're neglecting the greatest ministry God has called them to, their family. So you have a ministry, and it starts at home. And I believe God will give you one in the church as well if you just hunger for it. And, uh, you know, I wish we could acknowledge everybody's ministry, every service publicly. Because I would like people to know, but maybe some of you don't want people to know. You'd rather work behind the scenes. But just know that God doesn't miss one thing that happens. Though you may not get public acknowledgement in a church service or on TBN or something like that. It's still important. Because God is taking notes. And in eternity you'll be rewarded for every single He said, if you even give a glass of water in my name, you're going to be rewarded. So God's not going to miss it. I'll do my best to acknowledge it, and uh, hopefully others will appreciate your ministry as well, but ultimately God's going to bless you and reward you. Next, uh, again, just moving on, sake of time here. Yes. That, I mean, that's a good question, and I'll do my best to answer. Um, basically, if anybody's listening on the recording, I'll restate it. But the question is, if, if, if we do something, do we have to announce that it's in the name of the Lord for it to be in the name of the Lord? You know, do you have to give a glass of water to in, say, in Jesus' name? You know, um, not necessarily, but like I said, if you're holding the door open for someone, you don't have to say in Jesus' name. You just do it, and you smile, and you... And then if there's ever an opportunity through your kindness that they ask a question, the Bible says be ready with an answer. And then at that point, you verbalize it. Sometimes we're doing it in the name of the Lord through, again, that's why I say word or deed. It's just the deed that's showing the love of God. Whether they understand completely or not, you're showing the love of God. And you may have a chance to say something. But even if you don't, I believe God will reward it because you've done it unto him. He says, you've done the, unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So whether they totally understand what you're doing or not, by you just loving them, okay, it's just like um, ministering, uh, even what I'm doing tonight. Um, but it'd be better context would be on a Sunday when there's visitors. Just because they don't understand everything I'm saying, if I'm obedient to the Lord, I should take that as success. And I worry about if everybody understands but really, as long as I'm doing what God says, saying what He wants me to say, He's going to reward me for saying what I need to say, not whether the people received it or not. So we're just going out and we're loving people every day, every, the best we can in the world around us. And hopefully they'll see a little bit of Jesus in it and eventually figure out that's what the source is. And that's, uh, again, I believe God will reward you whether they understand it or not. So, okay, good. Good question. Um, The second, uh, any other questions before we move on? Okay. And just one more note as far as I'm developing a um, 
kind of an introductory discipleship course, 12 lessons, and um, the themes are live, and it'll show you about life in Christ, being born again, um, grow, about growing in your relationship with God, become a disciple, and go, go in and do something with the gospel instead of just sitting on a pew once a week. But part of that uh, ministry shaping, I, I want God to help us to have uh, channels, so to speak, where people can see a pathway to ministry and get plugged into ministry if they want to, where we can help them identify their gifts and callings in Christ so that every person who wants to be involved with ministry can be involved. Nobody is sitting in the church saying, I wish I could do something without something to do. But everybody who wants to be involved and wants to be used in a meaningful way in the kingdom will be used. So part of that responsibility is on the, on the pastoral team, the leadership team, is helping people be equipped for ministry. So I need wisdom for that. Just thought I'd mention that while we're talking about ministry. Next one is voice. Voice. And uh, I'll probably try to go just a uh, few more minutes and move through these. Um, but every day we need to make um, our voice a priority in the sense that we are using our voice for prayer and praise. Psalm 89.1, we're just going to look at two scriptures under this. Uh, obviously, we could examine hundreds of scriptures, but we'll just do two. <laughs> Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth... I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations. So sometimes we are preaching the gospel without words, right? Through our, we just talked about that, through our actions. And we're not necessarily um, exalting the Lord with our mouth, but there are times where our mouth is to be used to praise Him. And it should be at some point every day. And again, singing songs, that counts. If you're singing unto the Lord, a song of worship, a song of praise, that counts. Singing of His faithfulness. Using our mouth to glorify Him. Again, trying to resist the, the temptation to perpetuate negative words that are poisonous and full of death. Instead, we want to give life with our tongue, right? Glorify the Lord, not sin. Glorify the Lord, not our problems. Ephesians 6.18 Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always. So again, Paul understands we, we can't be constantly verbalizing prayer if you have a job, um, you're speaking with customers or something like that. You can't be praying to God while you're supposed to be helping a customer verbally. But I believe we can have our spirits open and in communication with God. And I believe that's more what he's speaking of, where our, our, our spirit is open to God. But that doesn't mean we don't ever verbalize it, right? So that's the, the balance. We're not always verbalizing it. We can always try to have a spirit of prayer, but there are times during the day where we need to open our mouth and we need to to pray for other people. We need to pray for our own lives and we need to press in to the spirit 
verbalizing prayer. Using our voice to worship Him, to praise Him, and to pray for saints, sinners, ourselves. All those things need to be a priority each day. So, um, there's prayer guides we can try to use to help us stay on track. Different things we can use. A lot of tools nowadays. But sometimes we just simply need to talk to the Lord like we would talk to a person standing in front of us. And He'll, he'll reward that. And, and there's spiritual connection there. We don't have to have all these fancy words. Okay, next one. Just kind of move through these. Extend. Which is extending ourselves. Evangelizing, reaching out to those around us. And this is one of the greatest ways I find when I'm discouraged to overcome it is to encourage somebody else. Somehow by encouraging them, it helps me get over my discouragement. C.T. Studd said, Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I'll repeat that. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Some people, they just want the comfort of the church and they don't want to stray far from that. But as he said, we should desire to go to the very gates of hell and pull people out. Another saying that I've read that I like is a missionary heart doesn't start when you cross the sea. It starts when you see the cross. Missionary heart doesn't start when you cross the sea. It starts when you see the cross. And all of us are missionaries. We may never cross the ocean, the sea. We may never reach to a foreign country. We might, but if we don't, that doesn't mean we're not a missionary. We just need to keep view of the cross and reach those around us. When we see the cross, it will help us to have the true heart of a missionary. Romans 11, 15, or excuse me, Romans 1, 15 through 16. Romans 1, 15 through 16. So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we have to get to the point where we are not ashamed of the gospel. Again, God will give us wisdom. We need understanding. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. You know, the first conversation, Acts 2.38, may not work. They may look at you and just blink their eyes several times. It's a progression of being led by the Spirit to reveal truth to people. God will help us understand a way to communicate to people where they are and move them towards understanding. But we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not compromising by not cramming it down people's throat first thing. Again, we can show the gospel by our love to them. And when they see the love in us, we can give them the reason for the love. 
In Isaiah 6, 8, this is the attitude we should all have. And again, this is after um, Isaiah realizes that he is very unclean and all the people around him are unclean. He needs to be cleansed, so it's not like he's, he's saying, send me because I'm the best thing since sliced bread. He's just saying, send me because I'm hungry to help others who are in a place of need. So after he saw the Lord seated high on the throne and his train lifted up, glory filled the temple, he, was, he said, woe is me. The Lord sent an angel, cleansed him. He heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. So after we are cleansed, after we are purified by God, our attitude needs to be, here I am, send me. Send me. So we need to try to make these things a a priority each day. We need to make ministry a priority. Prayer and praise a priority. Evangelism a priority. And the fourth letter is read. And this is referring to our Bibles. And with modern technology, it's also listen. We can listen to our Bibles. Many different versions, many different voices. And uh, the robot voices, as Maurice and I talked about the other day, are not good. Unless you want to go to sleep. There, you'll need to find a different app. Because uh, some apps have several voices. But uh, yeah, voice is important. Unless you like the voice. I mean, then it's, you're good to go. Australian, maybe. Yeah, could be. Good day, mate. Time to read the word. <laughs> I don't know. Throw another shrimp on the ball, eh? Um... But reading the Bible is important, obviously. Um, I'm going to try to have a, a principle to communicate, try to do it quickly here. But in the Bible, there's Logos and there is Rima. Have you ever heard about this? Logos and Rima, okay? Or Rhema. And basically... The difference is, I, I thought I put it on here. R H E M A, R H E M A is Rhema, and Logos is L O G O S. So Logos is a broad term used in a technical theological sense over 300 times in the New Testament and generally refers to the totality of the Word of God. The Logos is the totality of God's Word, the mind of God, the plan of God. In the beginning was the Word, Logos, right? The Word was with God and the Word was God. So God had a plan from the very beginning and that plan is laid out in the Word of God. The Logos is the totality of God's Word. Rhema on the other hand, focuses attention on a specific word, a precise direction of Scripture for a particular person or circumstance. And it's not separate from Scripture. Some people separate the two, but they work hand in hand. 
you have the total mind of God and then you have the specific mind of God for a specific situation, particular person, particular circumstance. Timothy 3.16, First Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So all scripture is profitable. All scripture is inspired. And it's good to have a knowledge of that scripture. But just knowing the scripture is not good enough. We also need to pray for revelation, understanding, for God to bring rhema to us, a specific Understanding for a specific situation. And that's why it's important for, to read us, for us to read the Bible often. Because we could know how to quote a scripture. We could have knowledge of that scripture. But God can bring understanding in a particular situation. A fresh understanding. Does that make sense? It doesn't change the meaning. But it gives us direction according to what our current needs are. So that when we read the Bible every day, it gives God a chance to give us fresh bread, so to speak. If we just have all this head knowledge and we're not open to this, uh, the bread in a sense can get stale. It doesn't mean God's word is less powerful, it just means we're limiting what God can do in us. But when we approach Bible reading... In a way that we are expecting fresh understanding, it changes the experience. And that's important because people can get in a rut of just reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible, and not having their spirit really open to revelation, and they're not going to get much out of it. And they're going to think that it's not a, they're not going to get the, the benefit they would as if their spirits are open to understanding. Hebrews 4.2 illustrates this. Hebrews 4.2 says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. So the same gospel, right? It's the same words. The same plan of God was preached. But the word that is logos in this scripture, the plan of God preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So we can read the Bible, the same Bible, the same message, the same scriptures, and get nothing out of it if it's not being mixed with faith. That's important. And that's why the art of the amen is important. Because sometimes we can think, we're, by saying amen, we're just helping the ego of the preacher. Which is somewhat true, to be honest. <laughs> you like to hear amen now and then. But what's more important than the ego of the preacher is you're taking your opportunity to say, I agree with that. You're mixing the word of God with faith. Does that make sense? In a sense, I mean, if you're just sitting there and you're never saying anything, you're never responding to what you're hearing, then yeah, that's... That's not faith because you have no works behind. So if, you, if you're sitting there on the pew and you have faith in what's being said, there's going to be a response. It might be at the end of the message. It might be later on in the week, hopefully. 
you know, it might be applied in some other context, but we are expressing faith with an action of saying amen. There's a, a work that's expressing and, and demonstrating our faith. Yes. Yes. Yeah, any very. The word amen is just a, a word that's saying I agree. So if you say, word, or say that, or, you know, there's a million different. There's a bunch of different ones. It just. Whatever way you say, you know, that's that's the again the 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 powers in the heart, and some people it's just a wave of the hand, but that wave of the hand is saying something. Their heart is acknowledging. So it's not the level, the volume doesn't mean you're you have more faith. It's the sincerity and the. The personal interaction with the Word of God saying, I know that's for me. I'm going to grab hold of that. I'm going to take that with me. I'm going to exercise that. And that's why when you're in a church where there's no participation, it's a lot more dry. Because the Spirit's not free to move. When, when people start amening and people start moving and clapping and praising God, it spreads like wildfire. Because you're giving the Spirit a chance to move. It's kind of like in a Sometimes uh, you get a dead light bulb in a, a row of Christmas lights and it shuts off every light after. It doesn't just one of them just goes out, but it makes all the rest of them after it. And you, it's like the, the spirit can't move because it's hitting all these dead people. But in the, in, the, in the other sense, when everybody's starting to respond, then it just, the spirit just moves around like fire. And so... That's why, you know, we encourage people sometimes, clap your hands, worship the Lord, praise God. Not some preachers, you know, and I can't say I've, I've never been guilty of it. I'm sure I have, but it is about ego. It is about show. It is about, but that doesn't nullify the truth of when it's done right. It causes faith to rise. And it causes faith to rise in, in each of us. So, um, mixing the word with faith is not just in a service setting, but in our personal devotion. Reading the Bible with an attitude, I want to see what God can show me today. Lord, let the words jump off the page. You can get more out of one verse than someone that reads five chapters or five books if you have a spirit and attitude of faith involved with it. So it's important Again, that goes along with that idea of Logos and Rhema. That God can bring His Word to life. And the helmet of salvation in Ephesians 6.17 that protects our minds because our minds are assaulted by the enemy, right? The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word, the Rhema of God. The offensive weapon we have against the enemy is the Rhema of God. And that's why when Jesus faced the, the temptation in the wilderness, he had a word from God that he spoke. The spirit inside of him quickened his, his mind to a scripture that would defeat the lie of the enemy. So when we, are, when we are walking in the spirit and the enemy comes and tempts us, God can give us a word that will defeat that lie. A word of truth. So it's important 
that we're in the word so that this can happen. Sometimes God will bring those things to our mind if we're not necessarily reading the Bible, but if we are in the word, he can bring understanding revelation to our current circumstances, our current situations. So it's very, very important. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word, every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is a spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words or the rhema that I speak unto you are spirit and are life. If you abide in me and my words, my rhema abides in you. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. While Peter yet spake these words, rhema, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. And Simon answered said to the Master, We have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, thy rhema, I will let down the net. So I'm going through something, but you just told me the answer. And at your answer, your current word and revelation to me, I will do it and we'll see the results. So rhema is important. Okay, last one here. So we can finish up. Yield. So we have these five disciplines of each day to be disciples. We want to yield. And this is yielding our time, our talent, and our treasure. Okay, Acts 2.42, I'm just going to go through these references quickly. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. They yielded steadfastly. And breaking of bread and prayers. And then Acts 2, 40, uh, 46 through 47. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house. Ate their meat with gladness. Singleness of heart. Praising God. Having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily. Such as should be sealed, saved. So as often as they yielded to God. There was fruit. And the Lord was able to add to the church daily. Because the people were yielding daily. Many times as, as, a, as a church, we only see results on Sunday because we're most yielded on Sunday. But if we would learn to yield daily, we'll start to see more people added daily. Getting outside of being program oriented and being spirit led, we'll see more people daily. And that's that's what I long for and that's what gets me excited is when we can see people baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost outside of uh, quote-unquote service. It's great when it happens there, obviously. I wouldn't complain at any moment. But when it happens on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I believe that's where the Lord wants us to get to. Where there are people being added to the kingdom every day. Maybe in your living room or my living room or someone else's living room. But God will get us there if we'll learn to be spirit led instead of program driven. Brother Raymond Woodward, I'm going to read a couple things he wrote about yielding to time, talent and treasure. As we're wrapping up here. Yielding these things to the Lord daily said it means in a culture where the average person spends the equivalent of a 40-hour work week watching television or on the internet every week of their life we break the trend and yield our time to God instead 
allowing for eight hours of sleep every night. He says you have approximately 110 hours a week. Following the simple practice of the tithe, that means 11 hours of our week should be specifically given to God for church attendance, prayer, Bible study, volunteering and ministry in some way. That's just a minimum tithe. And again, I'm preaching to the choir tonight. You are here. (laughs) So you can pat yourself on the back because you're giving your tithe to the Lord. It also means in a culture where many Christians are obsessed with climbing corporate ladders, using their talents for their own gain. Not that I'm against any of those things, obviously. Whatever God would allow, we want to do. But some people are spending all their talent on their own gain. But people that are following Christ and yielding to Him also use their talents to advance the kingdom of God. In a culture where a selfish spirit says, Me first. And there's a constant song of materialism crying for more, more, more. We break the trend and we yield our treasure to God. Bible says we cannot serve God in money. It says that where your money is, your heart automatically follows. So we have to put our treasure in God's kingdom. And so time, talent, and treasure should be yielded to God. And God's going to allow you to reap rewards on those things. And I'm not against anybody using those for other reasons outside the church necessarily, but it needs to be given to God first and let Him dictate what we do with it. Because after all, who does it belong to? God. If we've been saved, we've been bought with a price, we are no longer our own. Right? We belong to Him. And that's not a real popular message. And again, I don't live that 24 hours a day. I need growth in those things because I am not always yielded 100% to God. But in this year, as we, as we work on doing that in each of our lives, there's a law of the harvest where we will reap not only eternal rewards, but we will become more like Christ and have more joy and more peace in this life and our church as a natural byproduct will be fruitful in this community by us yielding first to him giving him our first fruits and so we can stand tonight I appreciate you yielding your time tonight to be here and spending time when you could be doing something else like bundled up at home where it's warm and uh, it's cold outside on the way here. It said it was 25, but felt like 16. So that wind chill is pretty fierce. And uh, it feels like 17 now, so it went up a degree. So uh, improved one degree. But I appreciate um, 